what is the Holy Spirit doing in the world? If I can listen and watch and see what he is doing, if I can see kingdom work happening, and then I look at what God has put in my toolbox and apply it to what God is doing in the world, maybe, maybe I can be effective in kingdom work. That's the theme of our time today. You're going to love this next hour together as we talk about encountering the Holy Spirit. My name is Leon Thronis. My guest today is Terry Dick. Hello, listener. My name is Leon Thronis, and uh, you have joined the Encounter podcast uh, that I am really looking forward to today. Uh, my guest today is Terry Dick. Uh, someone who I've uh, known for a long time, and uh, he has some some amazing experiences that we're going to get into in a little while. But uh, I'm glad you've joined us today. I hope this will be valuable for you as uh, you seek a fresh encounter with the Holy Spirit. So, Terry, it's great to have you here today. I'm glad that you've been able to join us. Yeah, good to be here. Glad to be in the room. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, where where are you now, Terry? Just uh, tell us a little bit about uh, what you're doing these days, and then uh, and then we'll talk a little bit about your history and family. My wife and I are living in Abbotsford. We've been uh, back in Canada for two and a half years now. So I'm in pastoral ministry at the Heritage Alliance Church. Mm, mm. You're holding things together there. Oh yeah, whatever. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> Uh, so Terry, uh, for the listener, it's just, uh, kind of interesting. Um, we've, we've basically, uh, known each other for a long time. Uh, how long have we worked together? Well, we worked together twice. Yeah. First it was in Surrey in the middle eighties and then for 13 years in Kelowna before you abandoned everybody. Yeah. Well, you were so hard to get along with. <laughs> <laughs> it just took a while for you to realize that. Uh, what do you? Uh, so, uh, so we've known each other then since the mid '80s. Yeah. Uh, actually, I've known you through your brother even before that. Um, what are some of the notable times that you remember? I've been thinking about that myself. Oh yeah. Well, I yeah, I was thinking through that when you asked that question. And the first one was that uh, when we were in Surrey and I arrived in Surrey fully expecting, as I'd interviewed the lead pastor at the time there and saying, you know, are you here? And he said, yeah, I'm here for long term. And then three months later, he resigned. And it was you and I in Surrey with an unmanageable debt and a church in demographic transition and everything. And uh, I remember us meeting together. And basically, we met together to survive on some level. And your knowledge and my naivety uh, probably was fine. <laughs> uh, you know, you know, the thing that I remember is uh, this was at Surrey Alliance Church. For those of you listening, uh, uh, I, I woke up one morning uh, to find messages on my answering machine. Uh, and in a sense, uh, I'd only been there three months longer than Terry. And uh, so we were running this church, uh, as you heard, with unmanageable debt. And uh, I had messages on my answering machine, pastor, pastor, we have a fire at the church. Can you, can you come over? And I'd slept right through all the phone calls and, uh, and I got there and the, the one wing had almost burned to the ground. And Terry was the guy who woke up and went and managed that whole thing. And I felt like a total heel. Uh, I'm still, I'm still embarrassed about that, but I did bring it up. It was rather exciting though, <laughs> in a weirdest kind of way. And you know, God worked in an amazing way there. Yes. You know, yeah, that was amazing. I was recounting with one of our staff members yesterday about some of the things that happened in what was uh, uh, like unmanageable debt and stuff. But, you know, God did some things that are unique. He really did. Yeah. Yeah, it was good. So uh, here we are at Chilliwack Alliance Church, Terry, um, and you have some residual ties to this church. Tell us a little bit about that. <laughs> yeah, long time residual ties. My wife is from Chilliwack and uh, we were actually married in the building that Chilliwack Alliance Tabernacle was before oh. coming into what is this, the new building, which is now 40 years old. <laughs> we were the last wedding in that 
other building before the church moved in here. Wow. And uh, then that was one of those recession eras. And then I interned at the church here. Wow. And uh, yeah, so my my mother and father-in-law still are part of the Chilliwack Church. And so wow. there's some roots. Yeah. Wow. Who did your wedding? Uh, that was, uh, well, George Ross, who we okay. imported. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, another, uh, another Western Alliance great. Okay, uh, just to sort of uh, round out uh, your personal experience, Terry, tell us a little bit about your, where you grew up and tell us about uh, your birth family uh, and then tell us about your own family now. Just uh, uh, maybe a little bit about your conversion. Just kind of give us a quick mm-hmm. bio of your life. Yeah, well, I was born in Calgary and lived a whole bunch of places. Um, probably, I'm almost a TCK, third ch- culture kid, because I went to 11 different schools and 12 years of public school, mm. but all in the same country in Canada. We did live in Western and then Eastern Canada and then back to the West in Edmonton. And uh, out of high school, I went to Regina, to Bible College there is where you were actually a senior when I was a freshman. And uh, yeah, the, when I left home to go to college, I never lived a day at home after that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I worked outside of there. And then that's where I met my wife and eventually got married here in Chilliwack and uh, we have three adult grown children now, one, uh, one son and daughter-in-law, and uh, one granddaughter and one seven-ninths of a grandson mm-hmm. uh, live here. And then our youngest son lives with his wife in Australia, and our daughter lives in Calgary. Wow. Wow. So they're all over the place. Mm-hmm. When were you saved, Terry? I came to faith as a child. You know, I was, I'm a church brat. So I was in church the, you know, second Sunday after I was born in Calgary. And uh, I gave my life to Christ when I was seven years old in my bedroom by myself. But notably, for sure, under the influence of my parents and good Sunday school teachers, you Mm -hmm. know, that, yeah. So I'm fully churched. And very blessed. Oh, amazingly so. Wow. Uh, we're talking about uh, encounters with the Holy Spirit these days, uh, Terry. When did you first encounter the Holy Spirit? Well, interesting in that way. Um, of course, you know, you hear the stories about the Holy Spirit, but personal encounter, when I was 12 years old, I attended one of the, uh, what is now called Power to Change, it was Campus Crusade for Christ at the time, mm-hmm. one of their weekends where uh, you learn to share the four spiritual laws, but the precursor to the methodology was an encounter with the Holy Spirit. That was part of that weekend. Yeah. And I was the only person probably like under 40 years of age at this thing. But that's where I came to knowledge of the Holy Spirit in, uh, it was a significant way. It was, that was the era where, you know, you wrote down all your sins and then you burned the paper in a cr- trash can type mm-hmm. of thing. Mm-hmm. Wow. And it had, it had a prayer for reception of the fullness of the Spirit. Yeah, that was a key piece of Bill Bright's whole thing of reaching the world was, you know, you need to be filled with the Spirit. Yeah. Uh, interestingly, as I interviewed my brother in a recent podcast, he points to the, that little booklet as well. Maybe, maybe we are poorer for not having it anymore. Hmm. Um, uh, in my discussion with uh, with Laurie, we talked about the Western Canadian revival that ha- uh, basically roared across uh, the the Prairie Provinces in 1972. Um, you're a little younger. Did you have any of that experience in your life? No, I didn't have real personal contact with that. I've only had the residual contact of churches I've served in, of people who have found or experienced transformation in their lives during that, during that era. Hmm. So it's touched them for a long time. Oh yeah, without a doubt. Like families that, that uh, reached back to that being pivotal in, in their walk with Jesus, for sure. Wow, wow. So let's be, uh, let's be practical a little bit. 
with regard to the Holy Spirit. Um, we've talked uh, about the term, thrown it around, of being filled with the Spirit. Um, talk to us a little bit about what that means to you, and uh, and what do you think the Holy Spirit wants to fill us for? Well, you know, stripped down, simple fruitfulness. We're filled by the Holy Spirit. Uh, certainly, uh, you know, to use some good church language uh, for sanctification, being okay. set apart. Yeah. But certainly, uh, we are filled with the Spirit to be released for the work of the Spirit through in and through us, both for us internally and then externally. Uh, if I look at the what I would call encounters I've had with the Holy Spirit, and uh, it's, you know, my introduction when I was 12, certainly intellectually, as much as I knew it as a 12-year-old, mm-hmm. I responded to. Mm-hmm. But there have been those those points since where I've had personal encounters with the Spirit that I would say are have also been pivotal pieces in my walk with the Lord. Mm-hmm. So, so let's let's talk about being a Christian person. There's no Christian who is going to argue that the Holy Spirit is in my life. I mean, we read in Ephesians, He is the deposit guaranteeing our eternal inheritance. But what is the difference between that as being a Christian? Like you talked about fruitfulness. Can't we be fruitful without this concept of filling of the Spirit? Well, the fruit of the Spirit is a work of the Spirit. It's not something we manufacture. We mm-hmm. can't, you know, there's lots of curriculum around, I think, that says, you know, build the fruit of the Spirit in your life. The reality is scripturally, I would, I believe that it is purely a spirit spiritual act of the Spirit in our lives. It's like Jesus says, he said a number of times, you know, you, uh, in essence, you can tell a tree by its fruit. And uh, yeah, there is, it's not so much about do we have the Spirit or not, because like you said, I, I mean, scripturally, we we know when we we are indwelt by the Spirit, when we give our lives to Jesus, whatever language you want to use, and that's how we experience the presence of Jesus through his Spirit in our lives. But it's more about our response to him, uh, to use a sort of a church cliche, it's more about living out of brokenness than it is about getting something we don't have. It's not, it's not an eternal walk of, well, I'm missing something. It's more of how am I relating to God out of out of my responsiveness to Him, and my my choice of allowing Him to do His work in, and for me to see what He's doing in others or the world around me? Mm-hmm. Uh, I've heard it. Uh, I've heard it expressed, and I've used it uh, in uh, in my teaching and preaching. Is that uh, yes, the Holy Spirit comes in to live in my life when I receive Christ as Savior. Uh, and I have all of God, but does he have all of me? And uh, it seems to me that that um, if I want to live, a, I am a Christian, yes, but if I live without letting the Holy Spirit fill me, uh, then he doesn't have all of me. So, so it leads me to the concept of death to self. Okay, so... So uh, it, it's, it's kind of the picture of the, if there's a throne room in my life, who is sitting on the throne of my life? Um, and uh, so it requires, it requires a submission from me to the Holy Spirit's desire in my life. Um, when you think about the concept of death to self or submission, which is not popular these days, um, what is attractive about that to you? If anything, yeah. Well, you're right. It's you know I go to the illustration of the house, you know, and the rooms in the house of our lives. It, we invite Christ into our lives in a sense, but does He have you know the keys to the rooms, uh, mm-hmm. the corners, and the nooks and crannies of our lives? And mm-hmm. uh, as as we are willing, as we allow Him to, 
He, Jesus isn't a bully. The Spirit isn't a bully in our lives. He doesn't bust down the doors. But he allows us those opportunities. And I think of right now in, uh, in this sort of pandemic era, this is one of those spiritual opportunities for us to tear down some of the props that we've had in our lives and uncover. I, you know, I spoke in our church last week and talked about people laying their cloaks down before Jesus on that Palm Sunday. You know, and it, to me, there's meaning in there is that we are covered, we have things that we are closely covered in, in a sense that laying down the cloaks was uncovering ourselves before Jesus to say, I'm open to your work. And I love that kind of physical expression that it is, it's humility and saying, I can't muster up the stuff that comes, the fruit or the the becoming more like Jesus, the, you know, the set apart life, the sanctified life, I can't do that. But if I allow him, you know, I think of the Revelation 3.20 passage, which we often use for people that we think are far from Jesus, although I think it's written to people who are already followers of Jesus. And he says, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone opens up, you know, I'll come in and I'll fellowship with him. To me, that's attractive. If I'm going to have deep, meaningful relationship with Jesus, He's not going to bust down the door, but he's ready, man. I, all I have to do is like turn the knob and let him in, and it's that what Jesus talked about—that fullness and a, you know, the abundant life. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But how do you do that without uh, the following Jesus? Is in a sense, it's simple, but there's something really challenging about it. it is. When Jesus said things like, you know, pick up your cross and follow me, yeah. you got to love me more than your mother or father or brother and sister. He's not telling us to hate those people or like, you know, shun them. But he's saying like, in comparison, you know, when your desire is for me alone, man, I want to have such deep life and fellowship. I want you to be able to live light-footed, I would call it. <laughs> Not easy because, like, these are not easy. It's not an easy call in us, but it is deep and meaningful. So, yeah. 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 And really, to make us like Jesus is what the Holy Spirit wants. Yeah. Yeah. It's good stuff. So, so you've been a Christian for a long time now, Terry. Um, tell us, uh, as far as the Spirit-filled life is concerned, what, what practices work for you? What's, what's your devotional life like? How do, how do you find the Holy Spirit speaks to you? How does he guide you? Talk, talk to us a little bit about your, your practical life there. Yeah, it, part of it's in my wiring too. Uh, and when I come, came to realize how God had wired me, it really helped in the disciplines because uh, I don't think my wiring is, like I've got a, my brother, which who, who I, I love and admire greatly, but he could do like one method of Bible devotional life for his, like his whole entire life and it would be deep and meaningful to him. But when I, if I did one thing for any length of time, <laughs> like I'd, I'd break down, I'd lose that edge. It would go like, oh man, that's like, is this like the boring and less meaningful life? But as I learned that, you know, if I, if I uh, approach different disciplines and if I have a season in a different way and lean into that and then give me, and then I have the space to, to shift, uh, maybe it's just because I have the attention span of a junior high student. But, but then that's been so freeing to me to go, okay, I'm going to, you know, I'll do a chapter study for a while, but then I'm going to, I'm going to be in, in connection with a couple other people, which I suppose that's one of the disciplines right now I found really good is there's a couple people that I'm with, like called a triad or whatever, that I allow them to speak into my life and I can, I'm in trusted relationship and say, here's what's going on, speak into me. I, we speak into each other. Uh, that's been really healthy. Okay. So, so you're talking, um, uh, chapter studies in the Bible, you're talking about uh, triad or, you know, mutual accountability. What else do you do? What, what, are, the, what are the variety of things that you do? Well, I, you know, bottom line is get into the Word in some way, <laughs> mm -hmm. and with somebody is even better. 
Mm-hmm. Okay. You know, however that looks. Uh, but I look to be in, in the Word, uh, looking to build uh, my prayer life. One of the things that I can do, there's lots of things I can't, but one of the things I can do is ride a bicycle. And uh, I know people probably keep distance from me because they see my mouth muttering away. <laughs> but it's actually a great prayer vehicle for me, both in concentration and in openness. And one of our staff members currently, he says when I go at the door sometimes, he says, while you're pedaling and want to consider something, because he knows that that's actually what I do. Is uh, And of course, I almost I was run over by a horse on the dike by the Fraser River once. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I was in one of those moments. <laughs> Not concentrating, but... Um, so, so we're, we're in a time, uh, of, uh, pandemic restrictions, um, uh, berating of the public, uh, isolation, all of these kinds of things, uh, that, and many of them go against, um, typically what we as Christians deem important, and that is being together and worshiping together and singing together. Um, how do you, and as a church leader now, how do you maintain focus during this time? In some way, we're living in this world, which is, um, it's it's pretty lousy right now. And then you're also a citizen of another world. How do you maintain focus in these days? Yeah, there's kingdom now and kingdom then, right? Yep. We are a citizen of, of both, and to embrace that in, in some ways, we've been given an opportunity, my opinion, to be sent out into our neighborhoods as a church, to be the church. Mm. It's an unprecedented thing. As I look at church history, uh, the church and the, the gospel, the kingdom, has seen unprecedented uh, advancement coming out of epidemics, pandemics, and persecutions like no other times in history. So I look at that and I go, man, we are ripe opportunity for for kingdom stuff to happen. But it's also, I think, true in people's lives. It, uh, so I think you told me one time when we were talking about uh, some people that were on marginal ends of church life, were feeling kind of lonely in some things, you said... If you're feeling lonely, don't be alone. And, and I think there's great wisdom in that, and that there are different ways that we connect with people, can connect now, that we didn't have before. But there's a sense in which that we can actually be faced right now with, in our loneliness, which I think partly comes from being unsettled with who we are personally. If we are, if we're not solid in who we are in Christ and how he sees us, I think we're we're not just prone, but we're open to a loneliness that is unhealthy. Mm-hmm. So if we, like, if we come to that place and we go, yeah, I'm okay with how God made me, what he's doing in my life, I can actually thrive actually being alone. And I'm, I'm, not, I'm not much for doing like solitude stuff. Now, that's not my strength, though I've tried to practice those kind of disciplines. But I'm like, I'm, I'm much better if I'm doing something and there's a buzz of a crowd, there's people around and like I'm going, oh man, like, you know, I'd be probably the first one to try and find a hole in the, the public guidelines for meeting with people. Like when they said, yeah, you can do pastoral visits, man. I've like jumped on that in, I felt like freedom. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Hmm. Interesting. It leads me. Uh, it leads me to shift here a little bit. Uh, so in our church every year, we, uh, we devote a month to uh, missions, and uh, we have four ongoing projects here uh, uh, throughout the world. And so we highlight each project each week. And the last Sunday of missions uh, emphasis is we give a call to people. We, we ask them to listen to the Holy Spirit through the month, and we give them a call to either, with regard to missions, either to give extra or to pray more for missions or to be open to go. 
Um, and we sort of take that out of Acts 1.8, you know, you'll be witnesses to me when the Holy Spirit comes on you in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the other, uttermost part of the earth. Uh, can you talk to us a little bit about uh, uh, the, the whole sense of a call? A lot of uh, Christians have felt that perhaps a, quote, call uh, by God, and, you know, in this context in Acts 1.8, is for uh, a missionary um, but perhaps Acts 1-8 applies to every believer. Can you talk about the idea of the Holy Spirit's call? Yeah, uh, I guess you know, it's a leading question because I would say we are all called, like Jesus said, to make disciples of all the nations. Make disciples who make disciples. And uh, that's not exclusive in any way. Uh, when I think back to my you know, college education. One of uh, one of my professors, who became the president of the CMA later, he would say to me, "Mr. Dick, when are we getting you to the mission field?" <laughs> and I would say, "Well, Arnold, I'll tell you. I will send people, and uh, I will do that, and you know, raise funds. And I'm not much of a fundraiser, but you know." And then I ended up there at, at some point. But I, I guess I look at the call of God and I say, you know, we're called to make disciples. And I look at what has God placed in my hands as far as gifts, abilities, talents, desires. Mm-hmm. What are the experiences I've had in life? What's in my tool belt? Then I look at where can I apply those things for the sake of God's kingdom? I, you know, I abhor things like sort of like being on the shelf mentality says, well, you know, once I get to this country, or once I get to this church, or once my kids are grown, or, you know, once a kind of things, instead of going, where has God placed you at this moment, at this time in history? What have, what have I placed in your tool belt and in your life that you can pull out and apply for the sake of God's kingdom? Like, you know, where you're planted. So I'm not really geographically bound. Mm-hmm. Probably partly comes from being tossed around as a child, you know, in one mm-hmm. place to another. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, it's wherever you are, whatever, with whomever. The the 11 schools in 12 years may have been one of the things in your tool belt. Oh, yeah, without a doubt. Um, so you and Sandy have had a heart for missions for uh, as long as I've known you. Um, uh, and uh, we're going to get into your experiences in a couple of minutes, which are fascinating, but how did you sense a, a call or a warmth to missions from the Lord? Was it, was it opportunity? Was it our, our Alliance president pestering you at Bible school? Uh, how, did that, how did that come about in your life, that, uh, that we need to go? Yeah, well, I think, start with the negative part. I don't think there was a sense of not being in the center of God's will or that there was something missing because I hadn't or that I'd be unfulfilled or, or missing out on this, you know, the center, that plan A that God had somehow had, plan A or plan B, but it, it was more an expression of what was God doing, what had, what is laid in front of me, what are the opportunities he's presented. I think I look at God as a generous God and he gives us a lot of times good choices and we can actually choose one or the other, and he'd be completely pleased with us in either way. And, uh, you know, it's, it's that back to that Paul principle of, I've learned the secret of what it means to be content, whatever the circumstances, little or much, you know, in chains or free, you know, in swimming for my life or, you know, fully fed. Uh, I look at that and uh, uh, it's availability. I think it you know, certainly there was a heart for the world. Part of what's kept me in the CMA has is really that the two distinctives of that we love Jesus and he's sufficient for everything. And we have a heart for the world. And as long as we're big on that, then then I'm in. And uh, so we're as long as we're big tent, I like big tent stuff. Yeah. And... Uh, so I look at, you know, I look at people who speak into my life. I look at where my wife and our family are at the time and go, okay, God, what are you doing here? And uh, I want to be responsive to you. 
I want to be able to, you know, see where, you, you know, I'll say it later too. I know there's questions ahead, but it's where's God at work and join him there. Because that's where I found the most freedom. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Oh, that's good. So then you have been overseas. Uh, and uh, I remember you did an internship uh, overseas, and then you did a little longer time that we're going to get into. Where, where did you do that? Yeah, speaking back to that, that's part of the whole time. We, we, Sandy and I spent six years in Indonesia. I was pastoring in an international church. And... Uh, Part of that came back to uh, part of your impact in my life. Uh, I think, you know, if I look back to, especially the years in Kelowna, I learned so much from you in the area of leadership. Uh, and it started right at the beginning when you, I got that phone call from you. And I don't know if you remember that, but things that I, we'd been working on in that church I was at the time for some time were just starting to come to fruition. And I said, you know, don't bug me. Because finally, things are coming together here. <laughs> and so, you know, you in your winsome way invited me and we came and checked out the place. And uh, at the end of that weekend, uh, you know, you're go we're debriefing and I'm going, man, Leon, this is like a big job. We're walking into a church that was experiencing some brokenness and was uh, needed a lot of help. And I said, man, that's a big job. But you said something that I think was pivotal. You said... You lean in like, like Leon does. You can't see me right now, folks, but you know, lean in over your table and go, but it's doable. And uh, yes, it's doable. Uh, the hard things, you know, it, I remember we've talked a number of times about, you know, if, if you got to eat a frog and you got other things to do, start by eating the frog. You know, deal with the stuff that's right in front of you and then go from there. There will be other things and maybe some of them will even be harder than that. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So let's talk about Indonesia. So uh, as you heard, Terry and Sandy uh, spent six years leading the International Church in Bandung, Indonesia. And uh, a few years ago, my wife Carol and I had an opportunity to go to Asia and spent a few amazing days with Terry and Sandy there. Uh, uh, and, uh, you know, just just got our toe in the water of, of the uh, spiritual setting there. And, of course, it's exotic and all that kind of thing. Um, uh, so Indonesia is the largest Muslim country in the, on the globe. And uh, here you are leading a Christian church. Uh, talk to us, uh, just orient us to the spiritual thing in situation in Indonesia? Like, how, are there Christians there? Um, what is the Christian church allowed to do? What are they not allowed to do? Just kind of give us a quick 40,000-foot uh, level on Indonesia. Yeah, Indonesia is, uh, like, like you said, Leon, it's the largest Muslim nation in the globe. Um, but there are five official religions, which you have to declare when you get your identity card when you turn 18. But uh, that's that's good public thing. But uh, there are heavy restrictions re regarding the uh, other faiths. And uh, there are lots of many, many things you cannot do. Like you cannot proselytize. So I've known people who have been walked out of the country for proselytizing. But... Proselytizing for the listener is what? Well, trying to convert somebody. Ah, okay. Yeah. Uh, but on the same hand, so generally speaking, generalizations are only generally true, but there are, you know, there's 17,000 islands in Indonesia. You know, uh, 6,000 of them are inhabited. And uh, so there are some islands that are, they, they would call Christian islands. But by and large, you know, you're 85% plus, 89, lots of people say, percent Muslim. So where we were in, in Bandung, uh, we were amongst West Java, highly Muslim. We were amongst, uh, in the center of a people group called the Sunda people, which are one of the least reached people groups in the world, half of 1% Christian. The, but there are amazing things happening amongst those people. But it still doesn't even keep up with the birth rate. 
for the church. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the spiritual tenor I used to think was almost like urban mythology. You know, growing up in the church, and that when you'd hear international workers come home and go, you know, we felt the heaviness of spiritual things where we were, and I go, oh yeah, okay, yeah, I believe in spiritual things, and yeah, I get that. But uh, having lived and experienced that, even when Sandy and I would fly out of the city we lived in, I could f- physically feel a lightning. The physical manifestation of the spiritual is, that is it, man, it is in your face. Uh, where I'd say, in contrast to my ministry in Canada, you know, a lot of my working with people here is the battle of the mind. Identifying the lies of the enemy, what we're living out of, replace those with the truth of Christ and live out of those. That's sort of the Western ministry in a lot of ways. But there it is, physical manifestation of the spiritual. So the enemy, he's no more real anywhere in the world there than here, the enemy, okay? But it's physical there. But in the same way that the tough things, the hard things, you know, the evil end of spiritual manifestation, so is the spiritual manifestation of God's Holy Spirit. So when you hear the story, you read the stories, or you hear someone talk about it, and you go, hokey doodles, what is that? Uh, that's where we were living. It was, you know, I'm half the time picking my jaw up off the ground about things that are happening in people's lives, like the Spirit manifesting physically. And uh, it's just like, oh, they're writing books about what I'm living. <laughs> but, you know, I know, that, again, a generalization. For friends of mine here who are are not Jesus followers, it may take me some years to help get to a spiritual conversation where they'll agree that spiritual things are real. Uh, as much as there were, there are many restrictions about, you know, for believers, Jesus followers, I had more spiritual conversations in every venue, whether it's sitting in a McDonald's with a university student or biking beside an Indonesian, because it's top five for them. Spiritual things are real. You know, I'd be bicycling with a guy and there's a big banyan tree and they go, well, this guy's not a, maybe not even a devout Muslim or whatever. And you go, yeah, everybody knows that, you know, that's a spiritual tree and that means something for this whole western part of the, of the, the province or state. They all know that. So when you talk, talk spiritual stuff, it, they're already there. It's real. So, yeah, and pre- they... Muslims believe in prayer and healing. So nobody refuses when you want to pray for them, man. And when you talk about Jesus healing you, yeah, we believe in healing. So when Jesus manifests that way, then yeah, we're, we're in for that. And we recognize where it's coming from. So it's that kind of yep. temperature. Yeah. Now, you, you talked about um, some islands in Indonesia are deemed... Christian islands. Uh, I've been uh, I've been reading about uh, the revivals that happened in Indonesia in the basically the the mid '60s to the early '70s, uh, particularly on one of the islands called Timor. Uh, and uh, I've uh, I've read I've read all kinds of these kinds of manifestations. You know, there are the evil manifestations. You don't have to convince people that. The devil is real, and then and then they're met by empower encounter from God, where you know for communion waters changed to wine and all that. Um, dead are raised, um, lights guide them in the night to the next village, that kind of thing. Uh, did you see any residual? Because uh, some of this happened also in Bandung on on uh, the main island, the main island that you were on. Did you see any of that residual? Because you were there now in the uh, two. Th- 2010s, did you see any residual from that revival? Yeah, uh, one of the residuals is probably may, helps to explain what what our role was in an international church in a Muslim nation, which touches with expat and international workers from lots of pl- countries and regions and everything like that, is that uh, East Timor and Timor are largely regarded as Christian islands. And so one of the couples, one of the families that were part of our church in Bandung from Brazil, 
Portuguese-speaking Brazilians were sent by their church to Timor to minister there, uh, strong in leadership and in worship. And uh, they ended up coming on a to Bandung uh, in a sort of a shift in what they're doing in ministry. He was now starting to work with uh, young professionals and, and uh, coaching leadership and entrepreneurs. And uh, she would still go back to Timor and she was putting together worship music and uh, resources for the churches in Timor. And that's kind of like there's a network of connections between nations and peoples. And that was sort of a, a gathering of those kinds of people in, in the church we're in in Bandung. And my role is largely, you know, to give you a little statement is I come alongside, resource and equip and release people for the sake of the gospel. I didn't have to stand up and envision people. Mm. We were we were living in a least reached, hard to reach people, resistant people group. But we were also with people who were daily, you know, immersed in the stuff of life and, you know, the challenges. Yeah. And we were a deep breath of fresh air. Okay, so uh, all of us know about restrictions these days, and uh, and we are certainly living in a time when uh, when the when the Christian perspective in North America is being reviled and uh, denigrated. Um, we're troglodytes. We're we're uh, foolish. We're naive. Uh, and sometimes we're seen as the enemy. That's how it's being painted. And so you come from a six-year experience where, uh, where that is true also um, to a greater degree. So we, we, we come back now to what the Holy Spirit wants to do. Um, how did you see the Holy... And, and you've alluded to it. How did you see the Holy Spirit work when your hands were kind of tied as to how much you could do. Yeah, I think in, in principle, me, let me give you the principle, then I'll give you a little bit of explanation. Is it, I would say, essentially it was, I would look at things with, through the lens of opportunity. Uh, there are many things we could not do. Like, you want to talk restrictions. I mean, we had them and it was, and it was real and, you know, uh, we experienced and saw persecution. We friends of ours were walked to the airport. L- number of times, I said to Sandy, "Come on." I said, "Well, put your stuff in a suitcase. We're likely will be walked out of the country today." You know, and uh, those kind of things. And they're very real. Uh, there's no mistake about that. But instead, uh, I tried to deal with not what I couldn't do, but what I could do. I could ride a bicycle, so I did stuff on my bike and people, the people around were social people. I'm kind of social. I could go to a corner and just go, you know, I go, are you riding somewhere? And they go, you know, join us. And I'd be with a group of people. But uh, one of the things that was really helped me a lot was, uh, so I'd be with these international workers having, I'd be having spiritual conversations with people uh, and, uh, you know, they, they started calling me, after a number of years, Ustad, like teacher. If you want to know something about religion, not just Christian religion, like, see Terry, he's Ustad. And it was, I didn't know what to think about that at the time. And then these people said, yeah, just, uh, like, they're, that's a, a recognition. So I took it as a compliment, even if maybe it wasn't. I took it as a compliment. Yeah. And I decided, well, I'll do what I can do, not what I can't do. And I discovered there were more opportunities than I could live out in several lifetimes than, than what I couldn't do. There was, there was more than enough <laughs> for many. So that's, uh, and to me, that's translatable too. I, I look at here too in that whole thing of, uh, yeah, what, but there's just so much we can, we can do rather than dwelling what we cannot do. And, you know, I'm not 20 anymore. And I hope that this sort of, marks how I, how I live into the next decades, and that is uh, 
what there are lots of things I can't do and there may be physical restrictions on me and stuff I'm not able to and I may be too old and people think I'm past tense but what can I do and apply myself there that's really where I have have dealt and dwelt but I would I said to international workers like help me out here because I'm also a neophyte when it comes to understanding Islam and Indonesian Islam uh, to give you perspective, and some of the things that happened in, in your reading of that is that underneath Indonesian Islam is animism. Yeah. It's rather, Indonesian Islam is rather syncretistic. It's a piece of this and a piece of that. And they, so that's spiritual awareness. So if you come from other areas of the world where there are Muslims, they would say, well, Indonesian Islam is not true Islam. But it, yeah, it's true enough. But that, uh, so that's a base. And I'd say, oh, help me out, guy. Help me understand, you know, how do I know? Because I, I see people changing their allegiance to Jesus, but I don't know, like, where in this project, you know, there's no, like, come forward at, and sign the card, <laughs> yep. you know, yep. and people coming to faith and staying in the mosque. And they said, Terry, listen for kingdom language. And when you hear kingdom language, go there. And that was the best advice I had. And I've realized subsequently that it was not only good for that context, but what it did is it put me in the listening mode. It took me to a place of, you know what, hear what people are saying and their needs. Listen for where God is at work. Go there. And that's really helped me overall, uh, you know, in many areas of my life. That's a good word. Okay, our time is, uh, wow, how can you tell when two preachers get together? <laughs> our time has flown. Uh, I'm just going to ask you a couple more questions, mm -hmm. Terry, and uh, one is a practical question for the listener. Uh, are there any resources that have really helped you, uh, books or, or teaching that has really helped you in your spiritual life? And maybe you could share that with the listener. Yeah, there's lots of resources. I've been asked lots of times by people, how did you get where you are today? And I've sat down and I, I've wrote a list. And of all the books and seminars and places and things and people have been in my life, and oh, man, there's a whole boatload. Uh, so currently a couple things. One of the a transformational book of concepts that I'm living out is Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. Uh, uh, Peter Scazzaro. Uh, there's a number of resources in that sort of bailiwick, but uh, one that he that's uh, emotionally healthy discipleship, uh, really good. I think for my Western mind and what, the way I was raised, and uh, both from an evangel my evangelical raising as a church brat, uh, to get a whole a holistic view of spirituality and spiritual life and growth, and uh, that's big. Uh, in terms of uh, reaching into the the world of Islam and that, two resources I would give to people to get, it's not exhaustive, but here's the two I would start with. Start with uh, the book, uh, Seeking Allah, Finding Jesus, which gives good meaty stuff about being a Jesus follower and Islam and that type of thing, a lot of the apologetic. But then pair it with a book, uh, a Wind in the House of Islam, which is more a current uh, counting of where God's Spirit is moving in in the Islam world globally. Do those two and you're started on your way. Okay, good. Uh, and I will include those resources in my blog on Wednesday. And so you can uh, find those materials yourself and uh, and avail yourself of them. Okay, I think, uh, I think I'm going to wrap things up here, Terry, uh, and I'm going to invite you in a minute if you would pray for us, the listeners, uh, uh, with regard to life in the Spirit and listening to the Spirit. But um, you, you've, been, you've had this uh, international experience, uh, a couple of them actually, but this most, uh, the latest one. Um, what is your hope for the North American church? You know, you come back and you settle into pastoral work here. What do you see and what do you hope for the North American church? I see we are in a season of just unprecedented opportunity 
for the kingdom. And uh, last week I I spoke in uh, on Palm Sunday. If you follow the account, there's uh, Jesus comes to a fig tree, and he, he curses the fig tree for not being fruitful. You know, it's a pretty pointed thing. And they come the next day, and the fig tree is withered up. But I come to the next thing that Jesus said to his disciples after that. And he came to them after that, and he didn't condemn them. He came to them and he said, you know what? Have big faith, pray audacious prayers, and, uh, you know, trust in me. He says, what seems impossible, that mountain, it's possible with God. What seems dead and dry can bring be new life, and that's my hope and uh, prayer for the church. Okay, thank you, Terry. Would you, would you pray for us then? And uh, these are people who are listening, are seeking fresh encounters with the Spirit. So if you can maybe pray a blessing on us, that would be great. Mm-hmm. Can I just say this, Leon? If being in a place where you look for where God's at work and then follow Him there is the most freeing life you will live. But you may also be in the most misunderstood part of your whole life. Let me pray. Uh, Jesus, you are above all else. Man, thank you, Father, for sending the glorious gift of your Son, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for sending your Spirit to fill us, to change us, to aliven and quicken your Word in our hearts and lives. Uh, We pray your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I pray for the listener, for people who may pick this up, that they would know the fullness and power of your spirit in their lives and the freedom that comes uh, from living attached to the vine, to Jesus. Uh, May that be so. God, release your church for these days. Give them that true, deep sense of who they are in Christ and then the freedom and courage to step out in his name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. My name is Leon Thronus. My guest today has been Terry Dick. We've been talking about encounters with the Holy Spirit. I hope it will be valuable for you in your own spiritual pilgrimage and that you will see new effectiveness from the Holy Spirit's fullness in your life.